Hello and welcome to the Turn by Turn podcast. Today we've become dual masters in what can only be described as the greatest card game that's ever been invented in the history of card-based games. Chris, what are we talking today? I was trying to come up with a witty answer, but the best I could come up with is uh, I was born a dual master. And no, we are not talking about the game Dual Masters. (laughs) That is not the best card game ever made. We are talking Yu-Gi-Oh! Specifically, Yu-Gi-Oh! The Sacred Cards, which is a Game Boy Advance game. And it it may have been released on some other titles, but... Uh, I think it was just Game Boy Advance. Was it? Okay. So that's definitely where we both played it. Yeah, there was definitely no shortage of uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! games on other consoles, though. It's it's partly a tribute episode because the creator of Yu-Gi-Oh!, who Chris will tell you now... Yes, uh, Kazuki Takahashi. ...recently passed away. So um, it's it's sort of been in the front of our heads. Um, so I guess the first thing we have to do is, are you a Yu-Gi-Oh! fan in general? I would say generally, yes. Um, I grew up playing the card game and watching the show and reading the manga. Um the all the originals and stuff, even like season zero, which uh, I, I love very much. Um, and then I kept on into Yu-Gi-Oh! GX when that started. I didn't like the the main character really at all, Jaden. Um, he was definitely kind of cringy. And I'm wondering how much of that was the dub. Um, I'm wondering if the Japanese version of Jaden is different, because I remember he was always shouting this stupid catchphrase, uh, get your game on, all the time, um, to the extent that like it kind of reminded me of Naruto shouting, believe it. But in the Japanese version, uh, Naruto doesn't shout, believe it, all the time. It's like a weird translation choice. So it's actually just occurred to me that Jaden might be that way, too. My mom took me to see the movie in theaters, uh, The Pyramid of Light. Um, so I did that. And then uh, finally, the last one I really tried was 5Ds. I was still kind of around. Um, and I just couldn't get into 5Ds at all. And that was about the time that I, I stopped playing the card game because I just didn't care as much about the characters at that point. Like, I didn't like the GX or 5Ds shows very much. Um, So I didn't care very much about the cards because it it, part of it was the story for me. And like, it it felt better to get cards, even bad cards that I like, I cared about them more because I had some sort of story association with them back in those early days. Like, you know, if you pull out Celtic guardian, you know, it's not the best card, but that's like one of Yugi's cards, you know? So you're still kind of happy to be like, ooh, he's cool, and I've got him now, and stuff like that. I, I just didn't have that with the later ones. Um, and then the rules also, uh, there was some power creep, definitely, um, in Yu-Gi-Oh! that cards made later had to be better than cards made before. So we just started having better and better cards. The old cards I liked got less and less usable, and then we just kept growing the rules and expanding a lot uh, to where to me t- today, I've I, I still watch some Yu-Gi-Oh creators. Uh, my favorite is Team APS, so shout out to those guys. They're awesome, and they make it fun for you know the old old people like me. But uh, whenever they do modern stuff with Yu-Gi-Oh, it's just totally unrecognizable to me. So you do know your Karibo from your Jinzos, is what you're saying? I do, I do. Um, 
Yeah, so I, I still care about the franchise to some extent. Um, I don't actively go out and buy cards, but um, it's still one that's near and dear to my heart, and I, I still like uh, Yugi and Friends and all that. So I'm a little less well-versed than you are, so because I only know the original series, the original two or, say, three seasons. Mm. So um, growing up, I did have a dual disc. That was like my big Christmas gift one year. Oh, I did too. <laughs> It was wildly disappointing when I was the only person who got one. So it's like, yeah, I'll use mine. You just put yours on the table. <laughs> oh, that's totally what we did. So, um, And then sometimes the dual disc was like uncomfortable on your arm or something. So you just set the dual disc on the table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At the time, though, it was like the coolest gift you could get. Yeah, I don't remember how I got mine. It might have been a... Uh... A gift from a friend or something or just a, a friend that was quitting Yu-Gi-Oh and was like here do you want all this stuff like I, I've had several friends just do that at, for some reason and I'm like all right sure and so I've I've got uh, I've still got all my old cards and stuff um, and one of my first like adult purchases after I moved out of my parents house one of the very first things I did actually was uh, it was close to when Toys R Us was going out of business um, and I went to kind of just have one last look around because um, I used to go to Toys R Us as a kid, too. Uh, and uh, I saw on a display they they were selling sets of the Egyptian God cards. So I was like, you know, I always wanted those as a kid and I'm not like actively playing Yu-Gi-Oh anymore, but I'm going to buy those because I just always wanted them as a kid. So <laughs> I, I got to do that and. Uh, I still have those uh, on my shelf, and I'm very happy to. The wing, so, the wing dragon of Ra is the best one. Just by the way, uh, that's probably fair. I liked that. Um, I was. I'm, I'm talking subjectively, by the way, not objectively. Like, don't come at me with like, well, Cipher's the best because he. I don't know. <laughs> I'm talking about which one I think is the coolest. Um, I like that. I did a rewatch of the show recently. Not. Actually, not for this, just like in general, as like background noise. Mm -hmm. And um, there's like when they're introducing like the winged dragon of Ra, there's like a throwaway line that's like, this thing has like powers that nobody even knows because like they can't read the text anymore. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, that's probably pretty helpful in a duel. Like, what if it's something bad? <laughs> well, that's why you house rule it to be something good. But um, since I can't imagine us necessarily bringing up another Yu-Gi-Oh episode. Um, oh, I, I already have one in mind. I'll, oh. I'll let that float out there and we'll see if anyone latches onto it. But I was going to say, um, let's talk quick about some of the other games in the series, because I thought this game, which is the sacred cards, was sort of um, structured miles better than any of the other games in the franchise of the video game versions of this the only which other ones did i play um one of the ones i played was i got the hankering actually kind of for the sacred cards and just to play again so um i bought like Yu-Gi-Oh championship world tour something i like 2014 2015 it was something like that for the ds and uh it might have been 2013 and I remember that uh, you it was Yu-Gi-Oh! GX themed and you joined one of the houses and you had an avatar that you could dress up and like the outfits and stuff. But there was no overworld, really. 
um, or story really to speak of. It was mainly about just duel after duel after duel, which I mean, I guess is what a lot of people want from a Yu-Gi-Oh game. I have not played that one, but the other one in the series that I have played was called Eternal Duelist Soul, which I think was also for GBA. Mm, and that which one, a great name, great name. It is a good name. Oh, I'll give it that. But um, it has like the slowest pacing I've ever seen, like ever seen in a game. Like you start with like 200 HP monsters. It's just like wild. Yeah, that does sound weird. Um, I did play some other ones. Uh, one was, what was it called? Dungeon Dice Monsters for the Game Boy Advance. Okay, sure. I had that, and uh, my brother, my little brother, actually got really into that one. And uh, Japan actually got that as a physical game. So my brother actually imported uh, a lot of those, and we used to play play with the actual Dungeon Dice Monsters, and that was pretty fun. Oh, really? That's cool. Yeah, yeah, he was that. My brother gets really, really into stuff, so um, he doesn't get into things halfway. So when he's into something, he's into it. So he had made, like, boards and stuff for it, and uh, we had little, the little miniature guys that you would put on the dice, and the dice you would roll, and then they'd fold out um, into the platforms for him to stand on. It was very cool. Mm-hmm. I think I would would have been more into that had the episodes made sense like the rules of dungeon dice monsters in the show are like massively convoluted because the the creator of the game is kind of cheating almost everyone in Yu-Gi-Oh games are cheating but i was uh, about to say that the the anime does not make it clear what the rules are at all no for anything i would have probably leaned more into into it had i understood it at all it helped uh, learning to play on the Game Boy Advance because you can't do the wrong move. Like it lays out pretty clearly what the rules are, and then it it was a good way to get into it. And then uh, I had one more game, but I'm not going to talk about that because that's the one I'm interested in doing a future episode on. Okay, so that that's the bait right there. If you want to find out what GameCube, oh, potentially GameCube game that Chris is talking about, leave us a comment and let us know that you need more Yu-Gi-Oh! talk in your world. Because I'm not I'm not sure if there is like a Yu-Gi-Oh! podcast. Maybe, I'm sure. Maybe, let me help you. There, There is. There has there to is. be. So if there's not, maybe that'll be Chris and I's new podcast down the road. Oh, I definitely couldn't do that. <laughs> me neither. But to get back to this game, the sacred cards, um, what was sort of your like first impression of like the overall game? So basically it's a semi open world pixel art sort of RP text or a card based RPG. So what do you think of it overall? I think that it is very rare to have a single player like card based game where you also are a guy in the world and you run around and do stuff like there just isn't a whole lot of that because most of the time it is like the world championship games where it's just all right you know you're in this battle and you navigate the world through a menu not by walking around um i do feel like the the sort of successor to this um and some people might disagree is uh the gwent stuff that the uh the witcher series is doing with uh, cd project red because as far as I understand in that, you can kind of travel the world and play uh, Gwent. And uh, it also reminds me of uh, Knights, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic playing Pazak. 
with people. You could collect Pazak cards and travel the the galaxy and you know, you're doing all these other things, but every once in a while you can just throw down and play Pazak with somebody and be like the Pazak champion as a side quest. And so this this kind of reminds me of that. And to me, this is kind of the, the successor to all those. Mm-hmm. And I think that you covered that really well, is that it does feel unique that you are a character in the world and you actually get to engage with the world rather than just battle after battle after battle. Like it, it contextualizes it a little better and then just to sort of dig into the plot a little bit. So it follows the plot of Yu-Gi-Oh! Season 2, the like Grandmaster Championship that Kaiba sets up after... Yeah, Battle, Battle City. Battle City. So um, one thing I wanted to get your opinion on was how did you feel about it mirroring Season 2, but like creating a full new character and having him sort of take over plot threads from other characters, but having the other characters still like affiliated as a kid didn't even notice really didn't even come to mind. Um, It was just, Oh, I get to do these things and stuff. And I thought it was really, really fun Um, because that's what I want to be doing. You know, I want to fight all these important people and all these villains from the show, but to prepare for this episode, I actually did write down, um, Something that I, I didn't think about as a kid. Uh, I listened to a YouTube kind of uh, retrospective of it by a a content creator by the name of Power Pack. So go check him out on YouTube uh, if you want to watch the same thing or just check out more Yu-Gi-Oh content. He was great. But one of the things he brought up that kind of he kind of reminded me of was he was like, you know, you know what these plot lines are uh, because you either read the manga or you watched the show. And some things were exclusively from the manga, even because um, the show was not brought over in a so certain seasons of the show, like season zero, were not in English uh, at the beginning. They were not brought over. So I think one of the things he referenced was like you meet Bakura at the museum and Bakura says like, yeah, like I- I'm into tabletop gaming or something. But that that never shows up in the in the original anime um, that we had in the States. So I knew what that was because I had read the manga and I knew about Dungeon Dice Monsters and all that. But anyway, he said all of these dark things uh, like, you know, what what Merrick is wanting to do and uh, all, all the like tragedy that is befalling these characters. Um, your main character really doesn't know anything about. He's entered this tournament because he wants to play a children's card game and he eventually like prevents the apocalypse from happening not because he has the you know the millennium puzzle or any other millennium item or because he has anything driving him to from that realm he prevents like the apocalypse from happening because he wanted to win at a children's card game (laughs) (laughs) and i find that really funny that it's just like you know you kind of make a mockery out of out of yugi and friends that it's like it's not you guys it's not the pharaoh it's not the chosen one it's me. It's a guy. It's the kid with the backwards hat that uh, was cool in the '90s, and I'm the I'm the Game Boy. It's me. Yeah, it's it's really cool because if that's like so RPG to like literally like put you in the story as the character, and you don't see that with a lot of like adaptation things. It's just oh yeah, it's a Yu-Gi-Oh game. You are Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, so, yeah, it's it 
is interesting that it makes it all about you. Um, and while we're on the topic of story, I do want to give the development team a lot of props for not uh, censoring it because the anime over here was heavily censored. Um, and to this day, I've still got a big dislike of four kids for uh, all the all the work they do to censor stuff. Like, it, it just sucks, man. Um, and I was reading the manga and all these things that were not censored. So I, I already knew. Um, but some of the great moments, like, in the card shop. Uh, do you, are you okay with me jumping to that in plot? Okay, so for those of you who aren't familiar with the story or uh, or just not familiar with this part of Yu-Gi-Oh, um, there's a guy named Pandora that takes over the card shop, and he's got this mask and top hat on, and he says, you have to play a game with me uh, in the basement of the card shop. Um, and so you go down there with him, and in, in the actual story, uh, Yugi is normally the one that does this, but he locks your leg into a uh, shackle, and after the duel starts, uh, some two big saw blades come out, um, one for each of you. And as you lose life points, which are your your sort of health points in Yu-Gi-Oh, um, the saw blade gets closer to cutting your leg off. And I thought as a kid, even I was like, that's so cool. <laughs> like, there's real stakes to this. It's not just a game like that made it feel like a boss fight. That made it feel really different. Than, and of course, if you lose, they don't show it or anything like that. But they didn't have to. It was just the idea. Um, but that made it feel so different uh, in terms of flavor, sort of, than uh, just dueling one of these random nameless NPCs on the street. It gives, Like you were saying earlier, it gives a lot of weight to the duels that you're facing named characters rather than just like Bug Catcher like, 3 or like well, in it, Pokemon. You face a lot of generic people. It's not just that. It's it's again that you're not navigating through menus. Um, I'm not seeing a little cutscene of Pandora, like not even a cutscene, but like a little you know floating head of Pandora saying, "Here's what I've done and stuff." I can see the saw blade. I can see it there next to my character's leg, and that's what tells me it's happening. It's not that. You know, I'm on a menu with a with a uh, generic background that kind of resembles the room we're in, and he just tells me that's happening, and then the duel starts. Like it's all things that I get to see happen, and that just makes it feel so much more immersive. Mm-hmm. And it's it's pixel art all the way through. It's not like there are cutscenes of like footage, essentially. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I really liked the pixel art. Like I, I think it looks really, really nice. I don't I don't know what you thought. Yeah, I think it looks really good, especially like for that time period. Yeah, yeah. And especially the card art, too. Um, a lot of the games, I think even the DS one I had, um, just color coded the cards to be what they were. And then the text was below them to kind of tell you what it was. But mm -hmm. they all looked like generic cards. Um, until you hovered over them and then the top screen would display what the picture of that card looks like with its actual text. This game, the card art is on the small cards. Like, it doesn't look great, but it looks good enough that without hovering over a card, I can tell what that card is supposed to be because I, you know, have read it 
at least at some point and put it into my deck. So it, it's really nice to keep track of things. Um, and I've heard that's why they limited the cards as well, because normally your hand size is seven um, and they cut it down to five. It, it seems like that's why they did that, because if it was five, then we could fit five actual full art cards on the Game Boy Advance. And I definitely think that was a worthy uh, a worthy change. And it is nice to be able to, like, when you buy thing cards at the shop, you can sort of see the, like, get the sense of what it is. That was what annoyed me about Eternal Lula Soul, is that when you're looking at the cards, if I'm remembering properly, it doesn't give you anything. So, like, you at least have something to go on in this game. So, oh, yeah, that's Summon Skull. Right, right. And we definitely have to bring up, too, the jukebox-looking thing in the corner that... um the way that worked is it had like a keypad on it. And if you put in the code that the little production code that was at the bottom of your uh, Yu-Gi-Oh cards in real life, you would get those cards in the game. So that was always really neat too. That's another great example of like weird crossovers that exist, but maybe they shouldn't. Or oh, I, I think it definitely should. No, uh, maybe it shouldn't, but like, it's cool that it happened to work or that they, they went there. Yeah, like it should exist. It's just cool that it can. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a lot about attention to detail. The the it feels like the people that made sacred cards really cared about Yu-Gi-Oh to me. It wasn't just a, eh, let's quickly do this and that'll be that. It was just this was like, all right, you know, they they were looking at it and it was like we're not going to make a Yu-Gi-Oh simulator. We're going to make a game that's going to have Yu-Gi-Oh in it. Mm-hmm. I would totally agree. So the plot is obviously it follows the the whole Battle City plotline, except for the random couple of episodes where they go to Kaiba Island and shenanigans happen. But um, yeah, that that was like filler, though. That wasn't uh, like it, it. The anime yeah, had filler during this. It wasn't the the actual author and creator didn't didn't create those things. So they, they just ignored that. Mm hmm. And I think I'm pretty happy with that. Although that could make an interesting side side game. But I'm, I'm glad they stuck to just the season two plot. Um, were there certain like characters from the, the game and the show that seemed more fun to you that you that stick out? Oh, yeah. I mean, we've always got our favorites, but uh, going to the graveyard and seeing bones, that was cool. Um mm -hmm. Because it's again, it's not a you don't see a picture that looks like a graveyard. You go behind this building and there's like an alleyway, this kind of dark and dingy alleyway. And you walk through the alleyway. And as you come out to the end in the middle of this like New York City looking, you know, cityscape, there's just this dim graveyard back there with grass growing and graves. And this this guy Bones, uh, for, you know, if you know Yu-Gi-Oh, he's just back there. Um waiting for you to come up and duel him. And I was like, oh, this is so much fun. Some of the other ones I really like. I've always liked Rex Raptor. I like uh, Bakura. He's pretty fun. Everybody has to like Bandit Keith if you're American, I think. <laughs> I mean, that's our guy, right? That's that's how they see us. Um, Flattering. And, huh? <laughs> Flattering. I mean, to some extent, <laughs> like he's cool. Uh, so I'm like, sure, sure. Uh, I'm good with being represented by G.I. Joe with a red, white, and blue bandana on his head. Um, He's cheating every, every time. <laughs> yep. 
And then uh, my absolute favorite Yu-Gi-Oh character is actually Merrick. I've always found him super cool. Merrick is definitely awesome. Uh, who are your favorites? Uh, I liked Esperoba. I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like you were saying, it's just kind of fun to mentally associate it with the characters from the show and like contextualizing them from season one. I think this game does have a lot of um, potential appeal to someone who isn't super keyed in on the series too, though, just from the mechanics perspective of it. So like if you if you don't know the series, there's probably still some value. And after the break, we'll go into the mechanics of the cards and everything. Yeah, because they do not work like the rest of the series. So even if you are super into the series, um, that's only going to help you a limited amount because they change what a lot of the cards do, and they change a lot of the rules for this game. Yeah, and I'm imagining that's partly limitations of the Game Boy. They went so so hard at other parts of this game that I think we can probably forgive the the card mechanics that they couldn't fit in. I am going to make a bold claim and say, I think that maybe their game is better. <laughs> Better than the show <laughs> or the, the real life experience? <laughs> I, I think their game is better than the current real life experience by a mile. And I think that it's been better than the real life experience for a number of years now. Interesting. I don't know enough about the modern day Yu-Gi-Oh experience to speak to that. So I'm just going to let it sit there. And then if someone wants to grab it in the comments and roll with it, go right ahead. <laughs> I'll, I'll get into that more when we get into the uh, second second half of this. Uh Right, so we're going to cut to a quick break, and we will be right back. Bye. Psst, hey, you. Come over here. Who, me? Yeah, you. Okay. Hey, do you like Zelda? Yeah, I like Zelda. Who oh. doesn't? Oh, yeah? You like video games? Yeah, I dabble. I play them, yeah. Yeah. Do you like listening to people talk about video games? Of course I like listening to people. Who reads anymore? Well, 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 buddy, do I got a podcast for you. It's called Fan Fiction, you know, with an X. Oh. And you can find it on all your major podcast distributors. That sounds amazing. Oh, buddy, you have no idea. One question, though. Why are you in my room? Hey, this is TC. And this is Jim from the Studio Demands It podcast. Where every episode we take a demand from a hypothetical studio. Which could be you. And challenge ourselves to conceptualize, pitch, and craft a film based on the stipulations. Or the demands. We are given. We talk about movies all the time. Particularly, we complain about the choices made in the films we've seen. We're nerds like that. And, of course, like any good nerd does, we automatically assume that we could do better. Even with the demands and restrictions that clearly must have been put on by a production. So head on over to studiodemandsit.com and listen to our previous library of episodes. Our library of previous episodes. Our precious library, Jim. <laughs> our library of precious episodes. <laughs> You're a pirate Smeagol. <laughs> uh, okay. So head on over to studiodemandsit.com to listen to our library of episodes. And submit your demand for a future episode, too. So go do that. Okay, bye. Okay, end of ad.
hello, and we are back from our break. You just heard some ads for some pretty cool shows, but you're back now, and we are still talking the Sacred Stones, and now we're sort of going to get to um, the gameplay, what we'll call, uh, rather than Heart in the Cards, we'll call it Heart in the Algorithm. Oh, yeah. My my favorite Yu-Gi-Oh! game, by the way, is Yu-Gi-Oh! Path of Radiance. Yu-Gi-Oh! Path of Radiance? <laughs> yeah, we're, you said we're talking about Yu-Gi-Oh! The Sacred Stones. Oh, I did. Oh, <laughs> that's terrible. It's all, it's all downhill after 30 is what is what that's chalked up to. I mean, sacred you, cards. Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> did make three houses first. These are all uh, Fire Emblem references for you Yu-Gi-Oh! people that are not RPG people. And for you Fire Emblem fans, we, we've done a lot for you. <laughs> yes, we have. And we'll continue to. Exactly. So, so hang you un- tight. You ungrateful? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some crow. Three people just paused and left one star reviews. Yep. <laughs> so, um, this is our first like deck based game that we've talked about. So, um, just real quick, what is your history with deck games? You mean card games? Yeah. So, like, um, um, I played Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh growing up. Uh, I didn't play Pokemon with the right rules, obviously. Uh, also, very often house-ruled Yu-Gi-Oh, so it wasn't like we played with super proper rules either, but it was a lot closer. Um, I actually did play Duel Masters for a little while. I played Bakugan for a little while. Played Hearthstone for a little while. Played the World of Warcraft card game for a while. I, I played quite a few. Um, and then... Uh, more recently, I've gotten into Fire Emblem Cipher, which is the Fire Emblem trading card game. Okay. So my history with card deck games is the same. We're, we're talking oh. about specifically like trading card games. Yes. Because I've played tabletop games with cards a whole lot more, but won't get into all those. That'll be our tabletop episode. Um, so my history was this game. <laughs> This is the only uh, deck-based game I've played. I'm in a slow, slow process of playing through Baton Kaitos because I want to do an episode on it down the way. But that's been a slow grind because I just haven't had time because other things keep boiling up. Um, but for this game, like we've said, like the deck building feels very like organic and doesn't feel forced and it doesn't feel overly complicated so basically as you duel characters real and just sort of computer generated ones um, you gain higher deck ante which allows you to add better cards to your deck yeah it's it's called like capacity i think that your deck has a certain capacity and then various cards have certain point values that take up more capacity in your deck so the strategic thing there is you can have like one really good card and hope that you end up with that card in your hand, or you can spread it out more over uh, longer stretches and have, you know, more cards that are worth more and have uh, not as good of cards, but more of them. So you, you kind of have to play the play the odds on that one and make the deck that you want to make. And it to me, I really liked that because it, gave me a reason to think about some of these cards that normally are not very good. You don't want to just spam the most 
optimal cards all the time. Um, or maybe that is what you want to do, and what I've just described sounds like a nightmare, but <laughs> it was fun to me. Uh, something that I liked doing with my brother as well, um, and some of my friends growing up, was uh, coming up with like um, almost like Pokemon gym leader kind of things, and coming up with really strict criteria on the cards you could have in decks and things. So like, you know, you're going to be the dinosaur guy today. So you can use any of these cards that you want, but they've all got to be dinosaur themed and you've got to have, you know, do the best you can with that. It's fun to kind of try and wrap your head around that and think about these cards that you're like, would I use this in a normal deck? Never. But like today it has purpose for me. And so uh, I, I really like that kind of challenge. So you really enjoyed the deck building side of it then? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, I, I thought that was really fun. And that's something that even today uh, I still think is fun. Mm -hmm. And I think I go back and play this like periodically for the very reason that you have a lot of like versatility with your decks. Like you could do like a monster deck, but you could also do like a metal monster deck. Or, uh, I always, I always have a monster deck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had to get one in there. <laughs> um, but I think that a lot of this talk, too, we need to preface with the rule change. Because um, we talked about how the rules are very different than normal Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, and the best way I can imagine, uh, or the best reason I can imagine, is that they, for some of these rules, they wanted to be like, well, on the Game Boy Advance, Pokemon is popular. So we should implement some of those Pokemon-like rules, and I assume you know what I'm getting at. Yep, go ahead. Okay. They were like, at the top right of every Yu-Gi-Oh card, there's a type there. It can be light, dark, uh, you know, earth, wind, whatever. Um, they thought that because that was really important in Pokemon... It should be a lot more important in Yu-Gi-Oh, I guess. If you have the type advantage on someone, so like let's say Weevil. Um, Weevil is the little bug guy with the with the big glasses. Um, he uses almost exclusively bug monsters, which are like grass. Um, so I remember I got this little like fire cobra thing, this little fire snake. I forget what its name was, but your if you have the type advantage your card beats their card. Yeah, so if he puts out his best monster, the Insect Queen, which has, like, I think 2,200 attack, and he attacks into your little Fire Snake that has 450 attack, you win. You win that exchange. You kill the Insect Queen because you're fire and she's grass. And I do think that there should be some room there. I think that should have been a modifier a little bit more than that much of a deciding factor i don't know how you feel about that yeah so there are obviously times where you can get really 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 screwed by that <laughs> yeah or you screw somebody else i mean you know you go to the aquarium or the water park i forget what it is um i think it's an aquarium and then uh a bunch of people there have water types so you just pull out electric lizard and no one can kill your electric lizard, or it's very, very difficult for them to do so. It really removes some of the balance because you sort of, you can go on like runs where you'll knock out like six monsters. Then they suddenly get like a monster that's not 
not status averse and it wipes out your thing and it kind of like stalls you out for a turn or two until you get another like in this case like electric lightning one so like it can be like super useful until it's immediately not yeah and for those of you who are wondering how this works in terms of life points um because normally if you attack into a monster and you have the higher attack points the the difference in attack points is taken as damage to the player in terms of their life points um which usually start around 8000 uh it does not do any life point damage if you defeat someone by uh using the type advantage it just counts as a destruction and that's it so is that something that like really irked you or did you just come to accept it pretty quick uh, came to accept it pretty quick but there were definitely times it was frustrating because it's a lot to remember um and i i wrote down the way it works uh some of them make sense it's like you know fire beats grass grass beats water water beats fire um that kind of thing but then there's light and dark so they made uh they didn't want to throw light and dark in there because that would complicate it so they added two new types of elements they added dream and fiend and again shout out to uh that youtuber power pack because i definitely would not have remembered this all that time on um he has a really good synopsis of it but um, he points out that Fiend is also a monster type in terms of not element, because monsters also have uh, types, like warrior, spellcaster, um, lizard, things like that. So it's really weird that one of them is Fiend. So you can have a Fiend element, Fiend monster, and it gets a little weird. Um, but the way that works is Light beats Fiend, um, Dark beats light, dream beats dark, and fiend beats dream. And so as a kid, that was way too much for me to keep up with. Um, so anytime I was using a dark monster, like I, I used um because I, I liked the Pandora fight, Pandora has a special dark magician card um that has like alternate colors. And so you know I was rocking that because I thought that was super cool. He wears like a dark brown a uh, robe and uh, I think he's like tan. He's super cool looking. Um definitely look him up if you haven't. I think the community today just calls him Dark Magician number two. I think that's what they settled on. Mm-hmm. Um but uh yeah I'd send that out sometimes which you know takes sacrifices and then he would just get rocked by um I guess he was like a dark type so he'd get rocked by a dream type monster and I would be like oh I don't even really get how that happened. So that never felt good. Yeah, that was very defeating if you had like a high level, like two sacrifice monster out that was like 3000 HP and it gets defeated by a 200. Yeah, and you're not quite sure why. Yes. That it's like, why why did he beat me exactly? And that I'm no stranger to that happening in Yu-Gi-Oh! sometimes that you're like, I don't, you know, I don't totally follow the card interaction that just happened. Um, but the game never tells you about these types either. They're completely, uh, trial and error. And so it's a little bit weird to kind of get a grasp on that. And definitely as a kid, I just didn't. Yeah, there's not 
a super huge tutorial for this, which I think is good and bad because it requires you to figure it out on your own, which can be really annoying for a lot of people. But some people are happy to just kind of figure it out on the go. Yeah. So how do you feel about this game? Well, you said you don't have a lot of experience, but um, have you played regular Yu-Gi-Oh before very much? Yes. So like the table, yeah, like physical card version, yes. How do you feel about the rules in this as compared to that? Um, other than that that we've just discussed, uh, it doesn't really bother me. I kind of like the idea of not having to sacrifice just because it lets you get more interesting things out sooner. Rather you, still, than, you still have to sacrifice in this game. No, 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 no. The, uh, it. I like not having to sacrifice. Oh, okay. To some extent. Like, Was that I get like it. A, a house rule you played with? Uh, on and off, it, it depends. But it's kind of fun to like get the more exciting things out there rather than like hang out with like a couple like medium HP things that may or may not make it. It's fun to kind of jump right to like the pumpkin or the legendary fisherman mm-hmm. or even like a god card. But like it obviously balances it way more. It just leads to more buildup while you're waiting to sacrifice to get something that's actually useful. Yeah, and see, I like I like the the smaller stuff too, because um, to me that's sort of the the fun. That's sort of where the trenches is to me is like who's going to get that big card out first, and then the reaction of dealing with that. I I find that fun. Um, I would argue in this game that um, the god cards are like the worst cards you can get. I didn't really use them in this game. Yeah, so you can get them and you can use them, but I would argue that they're terrible because they are the three sacrifices. And then Slifer's powers are dependent on how many cards you have in your hand. Yes. Which are limited to five, regardless. You only get 5,000 attack. Exactly. (laughs) I'm just kidding. So, like, you are limited in your scope of what he can do. And by the point where you've sacrificed three monsters to get them out there your hand's probably not robust and filled well so a, a thing i think that really plays into that is game length um duels in sacred cards are resolved much faster than regular rules Yu-Gi-Oh. definitely and I so think that- yeah you're not gonna like you know when you're in, in a regular game it's like you know at minute mark 10 you might get slifer or something out and then you're in a good position but in this one by minute mark two the game is ending so it's really rare that you're going to have the chance to get three cards on the field sacrifice them and then do all these other things like it is a very early game focused uh sort of meta that this game has you playing in the the speed of the duel is something i appreciate as well so i can finish a duel like a harder duel in like five minutes, but on like the TV show or perhaps in real life, it lasts four episodes. Yes. I'm going to go again to that same content creator power pack. Another nice little thing he did comparing uh, this game was he said, I wonder, he said, I'm going to get log into Yu-Gi-Oh uh, dual uh, master duel, which is the current online, you know, platform where people duel with actual rules. 
against each other. And he said, I'm going to do a duel in that. And then I'm going to compare the footage to see how many duels I could finish in sacred cards in me doing that. Um, so in the amount of time it took him to complete one actual duel uh, by modern day standards, um, he was able to complete 11 and a half duels in sacred cards. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah, so I, I definitely like the um, the speed at which the duels are played, because you might be like, well, that seems too fast, like you're just getting invested, but no, it it is paced really well, I think, and um, you just move right on to the next one. It's not like when uh, I was playing, you know, one of the world championship games, it, it was like, well, you know, now that I've finished one duel, I need to go take a break and decompress. It wasn't like that. It was you know, I'm ready for the next one. And it just keeps you moving right along. So I think we're at the point where I want to break. We're not usually like a segment show where we do like specific segments of information. We kind of just keep it conversationally. But I want to try a segment for this particular episode called Uncle Daniel's Tips for Winning in Yu-Gi-Oh! The Sacred Cards. And sort of... It, we're still going to continue our conversation, but we'll kind of frame it around these talking points. So my my number one tip is that if the algorithm hates you, you're not going to win. So, I mean, that's that's every card game, though. The RNG sometimes is just not on your side. You end up with a bad hand. The heart of the cards fails you. Yeah. <laughs> and it just is what it is. The heart of the algorithm, like I was saying earlier, just regardless of what you do, if you're if you don't get like anything to work with, uh, you're just not going to win. So uh, there are tips that lead this to be pretty freaking broken. And now we're going to get into those. But at the end of the day, if the algorithm is not in your favor. You're done and it's very hard to course correct if you start with five. Not very useful cards, so. My first tip here is you want a really high HP four star monster and the faster what, you what do you mean Yu-Gi-Oh cards don't have HP? What it what is the, the modifier for it? They have attack and defense power. Oh okay. So the they have attack... stars that tell you how much you need to summon them. Yeah, so you wanna get the four starred high attack powered monsters. And get them as quickly as possible. And if you can get about five or six of them in that like 1400 attack power range, you can beat almost the entire game without having anything higher than that. So, well, that, that used to be considered high. Yeah. You know, it, at one point, Blue Eyes White Dragon was like the ultimate regular card and it had 3000 attack. There was nothing. You know, and then the other, just for perspective, for, you know, maybe you're younger, still into Yu-Gi-Oh! and you're listening to this, like, Dark Magician had 2,500, Summon Skull had 2,200, and these were all considered really, really good high-end cards. So, obviously, the way this game works, your deck capacity won't allow you to get those very early, but even if you can get, like, some 900s in, or even, like, 750s, you can take control really early because your opponent is just going to put things in defense. So the more you can like pump into your deck, even if it's at the mercy of like having 
fewer useful things in there, you can kind of take over that way. And one card in particular in the beginning half of the game that you'll want to get is Doron, which is like this weird water spirit thing. And its special effect is that is that it can double itself. So it has like the 900 attack, and you can double it. And at that point, you have the capacity to eliminate the one defense monster they're playing and then do 900 attack. And you can just continue to wear down the life points that way, which is pretty slow burn. But as the game continues, you get Revival Jam, which has 1,500 attack points, and that can double. So then you have two of those, which you get... You're able to get that probably about two-thirds of the way through, maybe even earlier, maybe half. And at that point, you can just start really churning out the battles pretty quick because they're not going to be able to beat your 1,500 monster. So they attack your... You can put something smaller on defense, and then that leaves their monster in attack mode because they attacked your small thing, and you sort of bait them into attacking so you can go right for life points and then the other tip is they have the trap cards are pretty broken in this too so there are multiple trap cards that will destroy under a certain attack level monsters and there's like three different ones if you load your deck with those and you can have multiples i believe up to three copies yes so if you can get those, you can have nine like low deck capacity cost cards that'll wipe out monsters under like 1,500 attack points. So you can like literally render like the computer's deck useless because if they attack, they're just going to disappear. And then that leaves their board open. So if you're fighting like a named character from the show, you're not even going to see their higher level things from the show because they can't even they can't keep anything on the board long enough to get to insect queen uh is that stuff like you used a lot or did you strategize and plan a little more i i strategized and planned a little more and uh, i don't know if i ever noticed those cards doing that um my one tip i would say though is that um, this is something else i actually kind of like over regular Yu-Gi-Oh, is that um there are not phases of your turn in this game you can do pretty much anything in any order on your turn and i i like that i like that kind of not uh less rigid structure um so you can do weird interactions like if i want to summon a five star monster which takes one tribute i contribute my monster and then it that is stored then I can play a magic card like Dark Hole that wipes the board of all creatures or all monsters. But I already tributed the one on my side. Then after that's wiped the board, you can play the monster you were tributing for and then use it. Oh, that's that's kind of a broken idea, isn't it? I didn't think to do that. Yeah, I, I didn't either, but this was more YouTubers helping me out. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> um, so that was the main thing. I mostly went in with just the cards I liked, and then I had a couple, um, because of the element thing, the way that worked, I had a couple of answers to bigger things, like 
if we're going against Weevil. Um, you know, I'm using mostly the deck I want to, but that fire snake is in there. <laughs> and then if I'm going to fight Mako, the the water guy, um, I'll mostly use the deck I want to, but Electric Lizard is in there. Um, so that if he does get out, uh, I forget what Mako's signature card is, but if he gets out, you know, any giant water thing that I'm having trouble dealing with, eventually, if I can hang on, that lizard will pop up and will resolve the problem for me. <laughs> yep. My next uh, tip, advice, what have you, is get summon Sculler Jinzo, and then you don't need any other monsters beyond 2,000 attack points. Because they're one star, one one monster sacrifices, so... Um, I think Jinzo is two. I think, no, he's one. One he's is one. five or six stars, he... Uh, six, six, no, wait. six under is one. Six is two, isn't it? Nope. Seven's two. Okay. So five and six are one, and then um, seven and higher are two or more, depending on how higher than seven it is. Yeah. So if you, those two cards are really broken, and Jinzo eliminates trap cards, so he's super broken. <laughs> oh, yeah. His deck capacity cost is super high. So it might not be worth it in that direction, but um, either one of those are super high-level attacks that will just wipe out your squad, and then you don't even need any two-star summons. Which sort of leads to the next point: the god cards are pretty useless. This is in like the the cut and run, like taking no artistic license to build a fun, interesting deck. This is purely win. <laughs> advice <laughs> and ideas so uh, the following cards are useless in with that in mind so the god cards are useless ritual cards and ritual monsters are useless to sacrifice monsters are useless high high cards with high deck capacity costs are useless most magic cards are pretty useless environment changing cards that will like make it a graveyard or an ocean are generally pretty useless um those were some of my favorite cards just by the way exactly yeah <laughs> the, the field spells that would like because it's cool because it changes what your board looks like and everything so it was just a fun like even though they're not the most useful it was fun to play around with those and just change the environment you're in oh yeah we'll, we'll get to useful things and or like useful fun things in a moment this is just the purely like i just want to be done with this game and i want to beat it really hard yeah. <laughs> so uh TV show gimmick cards are useless, Exodia is useless. Um um Bakora in his deck has a final magic card system where you slowly place the words final on the board. That's useless. There's a lot of useless stuff in this game, but we're not here to talk about um like speed speed running this and how to do it. So as to far be fair, as like, that that is probably true of all of Yu-Gi-Oh, though. There is a lot in real life Yu-Gi-Oh. The vast majority of the cards at this point, I th I would say, are useless. <laughs> so, I mean, really, they were just ahead. <laughs> yep. But um, there's a large amount of cards that are available to you. But um, again, if if you take out the 
the useless, if you're in like a just win, basically just need revival jam. Like if you could get through your revival jams, you wouldn't need any other cards in your deck. That would effectively end the game. Because <laughs> you could turn your three into like six, and then they'd never be able to summon a high enough level monster to beat you. They and could you use just... an electric monster. Oh yeah. That that would be the one the one thing that would stop that strategy from working. Your little electric rattlesnake there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think those are all the, the advice for just like speed speeding through the game. But uh, again, I go back to this game to play it, to try different things, to not just play it, to try different strategies and stuff. So what do you have like me- certain memories of cards that were useful or fun to include? I mean, for me, almost all of them. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm the kind of player that like, if your game is not balanced very well, I don't get upset about it. I'll just start putting, if your game is fun, I don't get upset about it. Um, I'll just start putting restrictions on myself and limiting myself to things that try to keep the game fun and interesting. Um, so I'll try to, you know, if if I'm coming up against like uh, Esperoba, let's say, and I, I want to fight him and not just use um, a little fairy that invalidates his whole team. Instead, I'll just try... Because you don't, there's not really a big penalty for trying over and over. So I'll just keep trying and uh, using different decks to see if I can come up with something like, it's sort of like a, a puzzle, you know? It's like, there's a really easy way to solve the puzzle, but it's like, hey, yeah, but I don't want to do it that way. I like to go back and see the different ways that I could potentially solve it and see mm-hmm. if I can like brute force it or if I can be smart enough to get around that. Yeah, and I think that's, again, why I like to go back is that it's not one answer and that your deck doesn't have to be one style. Like each each character on the show has their like deck style of choice for its bugs or dragons or metal monsters, wizards, warriors. So it's nice that you can mix and match, but you could also do like a really structured deck. Um, it, it sounds like you used to make put limitations on yourself where it's like you have to do like a dragon deck or you have to do like a zombie deck. Oh, yeah, the zombie is a fun one. The zombie ones are fun. One card that I include in basically every run through is Pump King, and I have no idea why. It's not even a particularly good card in the game because it doesn't have a huge attack level per sacrifice rate, but I always include it because I think it looks funny and cool. Yeah, I think we've all got those cards we're we're attached to, and I I definitely had some of those. I liked the Dark Magician tree a lot, so I used them a lot. Did you ever, um, and I'm not even sure if it's possible in this game, so this might be a good question, uh, go to Magician of Black Chaos? I don't remember if he was in that game or not. I think he might be the ritual card. So one one thing gripe might not be the right word, but I'll use it. Um, the ritual cards are pretty weird. 
like getting the ritual cards to work is tricky because you have to have the ritual card and the sacrifices and i believe you have to have the card as well yes so like you need black cluster soldier the black cluster soldier ritual and then two sacrifices yeah i don't remember if he was in that one either but he he might have been because uh another thing that i forgot to mention in my little advice that i was giving is um if you need to just fill your deck like if you've completed the other requirements just shove ritual cards because there's zero cost oh yeah and you can just kind of put them on the field and forget about them yeah, and it's important, I think, to highlight, too, that you're like, not only do you need the ritual material, the ritual spell, and the monster, you need all of that with a hand limit of five. Yeah, so rituals are basically off the table. Like, you can get them to work, and it's a lot of finesse, but at the end of the day, probably not worth it. Yeah, yeah, it would just take a lot to keep that working. So after we've knocked all knocked a... You know, a lot of these is being pointless. Why do I say this is more fun than regular Yu-Gi-Oh for me? So are you good with me getting into that now? Yeah, I think we should clarify that by pointless, pointless in the sense of not optimal. Yes. So I started the game and my intention was to finish it in four hours. Yes, which you could potentially do, um, and I don't think that's bad. Something that I get annoyed about a lot with uh, RPGs that let you traverse the world and stuff a lot is that sometimes things take a really long time. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm not quite sure where I'm supposed to go, or even if I do know, you know, I need to go from point A to point B. Well, it's going to take you 20 to 30 minutes to walk from point A to point B. I'm like, eh. And in this game, you the environments are not too big and you have a sprint button that moves you along pretty fast. So you can just run right where you want to go and check out what you want to check out. Um, But okay. So the comparison between this and actual Yu-Gi-Oh and sort of my thoughts on the way Yu-Gi-Oh has evolved as a game or devolved. So one of the things that I think is really strong about this game is, and early Yu-Gi-Oh in general is that there's not a whole lot of effect monsters you can just move right on through. And I'm doing this to make a point. I want to read you guys a normal, uh, or I would say this is kind of standard for today. I want to read you guys a Yu-Gi-Oh card in full. Please bear with me. So this is the card, Endymion, the Mighty Master of Magic. He is a dark type. He's seven stars. He is a pendulum monster which I don't even I can't even explain to you how that works. Um, he has an attack of 2800 and a defense of 1700. Okay, here is the card te- are, are you familiar with this card at all, Daniel? I am not, but I I'm following where you're going with this. <laughs> okay. Yeah, here is the effect text. This is in the bottom half of his card. You can remove six spell counters from your field. Special summon this card from the Pendulum Zone. Then count the number of cards you control that can have a spell counter. Destroy up to that many cards on the field. And if you do, place spell counters on this card equal to the number of cards destroyed. You can only use this effect of Endymion, the Mighty Master of Magic, once per turn. And then in a second text box, it says Spellcaster Pendulum Effect. Once per turn... 
When a spell slash trap card or effect is activated, quick effect, you can return one card you control with a spell counter to the hand. And if you do, negate the activation. And if you do that, destroy it. Then you can place the same number of spell counters on this card that the return card had. While this card has a spell counter, your opponent cannot target it with card effects. Also, it cannot be destroyed by your opponent's card effects. When this card with a spell counter is destroyed by battle, you can add one normal spell from your deck to your hand. That's the end. Did you get all that? If not, in a real duel, when your opponent plays that, you're going to have to read it again. And then again. It, it's really frustrating that for every single card in modern-day Yu-Gi-Oh!, I feel like it's just a novel. And I've seen people say, well, it's because you don't have what magic has, which is keywords. You don't have things that sum up all of this in a quick and efficient way. And my answer to that is, even if there were keywords, I don't care. That's too much. We're getting to the point where you would need like six to seven keywords. And that's too much. It's not fun. To me, it's just too much to keep track of. And I get that Yu-Gi-Oh! has kind of become that game. But um, I, I shouted out earlier, and I'll do it again. I enjoy watching um, Team APS on YouTube. Uh, it's it's a group of guys that is still passionate about Yu-Gi-Oh, both past and present. Um, but they they also talk very frankly about the state of the game and how things go. And it's like, yeah, you know, if you go to tournaments these days, you're going to run into people that have methods to win the game on turn two. And sometimes turn one, if you don't have a spell card that counters what they're doing. It's just mountains and mountains of text. And to me, it just has not been a fun experience in a really long time. Um, and it's made it hard to, you know, if I want to go back and be like, oh, I'll try this out again. There's so much that I just don't. I just don't know where to begin. And this is not like, oh, you know, this is a guy that doesn't know anything about card games or is a beginner. I've played tons of card games. And I played Yu-Gi-Oh! for like 10 plus years. But I still cannot begin to tell what is going on. And if I want to know, I've got to, you know, pause and read everything multiple times. And each card that I have to read takes me a really long time. And I understand that it's like, well, you know, the game has to evolve. It has to change. I fully understand that. Um, but it just, you have to realize at some point, because I know some people will say, but I like that. I like that there's, you know, a novel of text on each card, because that lets me do a lot of crazy things that I want to do, and it gives you more customization. And the answer is yes. Yes, it does. But... If you want your game to be able to sustain itself, you need new players coming in. And I don't think there's a large influx of new players to Yu-Gi-Oh! for this reason. Because it's really daunting, and it just it's just so much to get into. Uh, to get into a single deck that's being played. I don't know, you, you know, people are not going to get super invested and keep trying to do all this when it's this complicated. Um, and I've seen a couple of different solutions. I've seen some people like Team APS, uh, Paul there has proposed um, a legacy format. 
where you can only play cards up to a certain year. And uh, I think that could be potentially really good and a way to get people like me back in. But it also wouldn't help if the way a lot of other games do their legacy format is they say the legacy format's going to be, you know, let's say 10 years behind our current game. Well, then if eventually we're going to still get back to this, I still don't think that's a good idea for longevity. I think you need a legacy format that goes up to GX kind of. And just, you know, maybe you can include GX. I'm not sure how things, how broken things got at that point, um, how much that invalidates the old cards. Yeah, you you could still get me back into this if you made it so, yeah, all, all your old cards, you can still play with those. And not every monster has a crazy effect and not every spell is completely ridiculous. Um, and you could, you know, you could just add new new monsters just for different flavor text and i would be interested in that like it wouldn't have to be you know it's like well what what are we going to do add another 1200 attack monster we already have a bunch of those like yeah yeah you would <laughs> um so i i don't know that's just kind of my input and that's why i feel like the sacred cards is a great game because it didn't focus too hard on the original rules of Yu-Gi-Oh, but it's not too hard to pick up. And to me, it kind of focused on the spirit of the game more than the game itself. And that's what I think kept Yu-Gi-Oh going so strong for so long, because the show definitely did not use the rules properly. But the show and the manga were also not about the trading card game we have in real life. The trading card game's inspired by that, but it was about the soul of it, the story of it, the the kind of character of the cards that I feel like is is just sort of missing now. And I know that like the the response is gonna be like, well, you're just kinda old, you know, you're too old for it at this point. But I'm like, the data shows us that kids are not getting, you know, as excited about the new booster set as we did back in the day. You know, Yugi throwing out Black Luster Soldier for the first time was, I, I would say, way more exciting. Whatever we're cobbling together today, I wish I could name more. Um, but I, I, that's, I think it's kind of indicative that I actually do tangentially pay attention to Yu-Gi-Oh! still. I do still watch Yu-Gi-Oh! games be played. Um, I still watch content around Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, I still follow the game, and I can't name very many or really any of the new cards because I just don't care. You know, it, it just became more about the text on the card than the connection you had to that monster through that character or through your own experiences, I think. Um, so I think that's that's kind of the end of my rant <laughs> or <laughs> my, my rambling. But uh, yeah, I, I think I'm always going to like the sacred cards because it reminds me of a simpler time, um, a, a simpler time it made maybe even a bit simpler. <laughs> But it's it's fun, and when you throw out that field spell and you watch the entire field change, and your pump king gets a small attack boost, and now he's a little more usable, it was just fun. The cast of characters was still really likable and fun. Yeah, I, I just really cared for the identity of the game back then a lot more than what it is now. Mm -hmm. And I think that maybe like the limitations of the Game Boy at the time probably helped it that it couldn't go crazy with the like special effect monsters like there are only so many effects that could be at realistically added 
to be within the confines of like the creative measures of the game. Yeah, yeah, because some of the cards that and to be fair, I think also, like I said, there were not as many effects back then. So there wasn't that much to take into consideration. But yeah, there were a couple that it was like, are we going to, you know, program an entire new set of logic for our, our, you know, card game simulator um, for a single card? No. (laughs) The answer is no. We're just going to make it do something kind of close to what it used to do. That for, you know, maybe a beginner would be much easier to wrap your head around. For all the deck based things i've been a part of the ones i have the most fun with are the ones that don't require me to like like over plan where it's like oh well if he has this card in his deck i can't have more than three cards in my hand i have to jump in a circle while i take my turn i have to like bend over backwards and i'm not allowed to look at the the playing the playing surface for three minutes like the more you slow it down like i i was a big fan of um the lord of the rings card game i don't know if you're familiar with that at all not at all (laughs) so there's the lord of the rings card game and it's very convoluted but i loved collecting the cards and having the different characters and stuff so i have this like massive collection of lord of the rings cards but like even like reading the directions to the game is like a pret like a mind pretzel So, like, I never, like, officially learned how to play. There's um, a lot of, like, location cards, and then you get player cards that have, again, like, special effects and different things that they do about, like, moving along the player map, whatever the player map might be. The fun is from the simplicity, not in spite of it. Yeah, yeah. Because the the way that I've had the most success, or, or the most fun with trading card games. And I, I know it, you might think of oh, Freudian slip to say success, you know, that's when you win. The, the way I'm defining success is that I can convince um, a friend or a girlfriend to sit down and play a couple of rounds of this with me um, or a family member that is not invested in 60 seasons of a TV show. Yeah. I, I can s- sit down and say, this is a fun game. We're going to play it tonight. And it's going to take me five minutes to get you brought up to speed. We'll do a couple of example back and forths, and then you'll you'll know you'll be good. You'll be up to where I am, and we can go from there. And so my favorite current one that just ended support, which sucks, uh, was Fire Emblem Cipher, because it's simple enough to explain, and there's not that many exceptions um, that I could get lots of people to play it with me very frequently. Whereas Yu-Gi-Oh, I, it would be very hard for me to find somebody today to play with unless I go to my local game store, which then I would just get stomped all the time. Um, but I, I couldn't play with friends and family that way. Um, and the other thing that was really nice was I still get excited about f- buying uh, card packs of the Fire Emblem card game. And the reason for that is kind of like what Daniel was saying with the Lord of the Rings game is that um, even if I do not get any rares at all, um, I have a connection with these characters that goes beyond their card rarity. So if I get, um, let's say, Zyhark is a character from Fire Emblem I really like. Um, So if I open a pack and I get Zyhark uh, in a variant that I don't have, 
I'm excited because I like that character, even if he's the most common rarity. Um, so I still feel like that hit of dopamine, you know, and I won, sort of, that you get from opening card packs. Let's let's be honest about it. Um, but if I open a pack of Yu-Gi-Oh cards today, even if I get that super rare shiny card, I'm like, I don't... Okay, like, I don't... It, it doesn't mean anything to me. It's just like... I, I don't think about how good... I, you know, it's not as exciting with how good the card is. It's more about, do I like it? <laughs> I guess I, I, I enjoy playing games for the characters in those games. And so you've got to make me care about those characters to keep me invested. Cool. Well, um, that was like a nice little mic drop. Do you want to wrap up there? <laughs> we can. We can. I, I want to be clear one more time and just reiterate. I don't hate Yu-Gi-Oh or anything. And this is not an attack. If you like the the novel of a game that it's become, I think that's awesome, and I'm really happy that you like it. Um, I, I I really do, and I think it's still a really unique game. And there's a reason that it's stuck around so long when uh, when so many others have come and gone. I just hope that it keeps sticking around because Yu-Gi-Oh is a big part of my childhood and a big part of a lot of people's childhood. And I think that uh, Takahashi created a really awesome world, and uh, I want to just keep seeing it thrive and. I, I think we all, you know, all of us want that. So about it, Yu-Gi-Oh is pretty cool. Sacred cards. Um, I don't know what it would take to get your hands on a copy of this game today, but if you have methods, you should definitely play it today. I would absolutely recommend it. Um, and with Daniel's tips and stuff, yeah, you could win it in definitely a day. Uh, I, I'm curious. Do we want to? Do I want to look at what the speedrun board is for it? It'd be hard to speedrun a card-based game just because, again, algorithms, <laughs> but... R RNG is the word you're looking for, I think. That's probably the, the gamer word for it. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Okay, so here is Yu-Gi-Oh! The Sacred Cards. The fastest it has been beaten at the time of recording was five months ago on uh, an emulator for the Game Boy Advance by an American, and it took him 30 minutes and 15 seconds. I yeah. would be very curious as to how, th how that fast. Um, he, you always have to include a video with it so you can actually go watch that fast on speedrun.com if you want. I, I think it took me 35 minutes, so just kind of cut the difference. Then that would place you in third place. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love this. I love this guy's name. the The fourth place, uh, or no, it's the third place guy currently. His name is Cards of the Heart. <laughs> Very cool. So, how about we we wrap it there? Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts at the Turn by Turn Podcast. You'd leave a five star review, a nice rating, a nice comment. Let us know if you want Chris's episode on some other potential Yu-Gi-Oh game that might exist potentially for GameCube or some other system. Yes. Um, where can they find you in the world of the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Chris underscore Harky, and you can rant at me about Yu-Gi-Oh if you want to. I would love to talk with you about it. Um, you can also find me on YouTube at Nihil, N-I-H-I-L, where I am usually playing a Shining Force game or an SRPG of some sort. But who knows? This has given me the hankering to do Yu-Gi-Oh! a little bit, so you never know.
might might do that for a one-off. Um, maybe some dungeon dice monsters. That would be kind of fitting in with my brand a little more. But yeah, come find me there. Talk to me about Yu-Gi-Oh. Talk to me about whatever. Great. And uh, find find the Turn by Turn show on Twitter at Turn by Turn Pod. Right. Yep, that's us. Yes. So you can always message us there as well. And uh, we'll always be happy to talk talk with you about any kind of gaming, anything. And if you have ideas for episodes that you'd like to hear us talk about, drop us comments. But until next time, bye. Trust in the heart of the cards. <laughs> May the cards be with you. Always. <laughs> <laughs> bye. <laughs>